0: Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Today we talk about the bombshell
1: revelations from the January 6th committee hearings, the devastating decisions from the captured Supreme Court, and basically the dystopian version of America that we are currently
0: actually living in, believe it or not. Right. And joining us to make us even angrier, but then to tell us about important opportunities to get in the fight for abortion access, is comedian daily show co-creator and founder of abortion access front liz winstead i'm steve pearson
1: and i'm mariah craven and, and this, this is, is how we, we win, win. So we are a few hours post this hearing that you know the the kids and grandkids will read about in in the history books yeah. i'm so glad liz winstead before before this hearing went down she chatted with us and we talked about some really important reproductive rights stuff and actions that we can take which means that we can focus the front end of the show on a my God, the crazy, like
0: what, God, the insanity that was laid out by Cassidy Hutchinson, who, um, also incredible bravery for a 25 year old who, I don't know where she's going to go next.
1: Yeah. Her, her, her life has changed drastically, um, from what, you know, she, she thought it was going to be, which is very jarring when you're in your mid twenties, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have heard some sort of opening statement from her, her closing mm. statement, you know, sort of like the like the very first witness in all of this, the Capitol police officer, um, you know, kind of laid out who she was and why she it was important for her to testify, and I don't think that I heard that with with Cassidy, which.
0: They kind right. of set her up a little bit, but she didn't do it on her they own. S-
1: they set up who she was and right. how connected to all of this she was and established her as an expert and a witness and a trusted figure because they knew what was going to happen, which happened during the hearing, Donald Trump was already posting on truth, social or wherever Cassidy, who
0: never heard of her,
1: never heard of her. (laughs) I, I, I didn't, I rejected her application for a job, but I never, but I don't know who she is. So, so they, you know, preempted that, um, you know, The wonderful, interesting thing about these hearings is that it's an exercise in appreciating what somebody like Hutchinson and somebody like Liz Cheney are doing, but also understanding that Cassidy Hutchinson was complicit in helping get to this point. And she did make a statement at one point that she was so disappointed in Trump's behavior at the end because it was destroying kind of all the good work that they had done up until that point. And you're like, wait a minute. And I was yeah. reminded on the, on Facebook today that four years ago today, I was collecting hygiene items for children who had been separated from their parents at the border by the Trump administration. Mm. So, um, Yes, some people were able to like step in and help save democracy, but like up until that point, they were.
0: Well, and to 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 your point, she didn't step in to save democracy. She actually is bearing witness to what happened, but there were no actions by her own account that she took that influenced any of that other than she saw it all going down and felt helpless and disturbed by it. Um but what, and
1: what, what what she what could she have done? You know? Yeah. Like if she like in her telling of the story, like the only thing that stopped Trump was the Secret Service physically taking him away from in the opposite direction of the Capitol. But so anyway, tell me what stood out for you. What were the most jaw-dropping moments for you?
0: Well, it was clearly laid out. That the president of the United States knew that the mem- that the people in the crowd had weapons, including AR-15s and pistols, mm-hmm. and wanted to clear out the metal detectors, the mags, mm-hmm. and let them in anyway because they, quote, weren't going to hurt him. That's not a quote. I'm paraphrasing. But they, he, he didn't think they were going to hurt him. So that is so clear that he had first of all prior knowledge about what was happening Right. The, the The testimony uh, from Rudy Giuliani leaving the office uh, a few days earlier and saying, "Are you uh, saying to Cassidy, you excited about January sixth and and um, and Meadows saying it, it's it could get very, very bad and uh, after she inquired about that, like the planning had been done. Her testimony saying that Meadows had wanted to go to this planning meeting at this war room at the hotel with Mike Flynn and Rudy mm-hmm. Giuliani. And in that case, she actually convinced him not to go. He ended up Mm. phoning in anyway. But the point of all of that is Trump knew from reports from the Secret Service, from reports from security that they had been finding weapons, that the crowd didn't want to come into the Ellipse because they had to go through those mags and their weapons would have been confiscated. And he told them to remove those mags And that they could march to the Capitol from the ellipse. It's hard to even say that out loud, but Mm -hmm. it's so clear. He knew they were armed. He knew they had bad intentions. He wanted them to do it. He was expecting it. He egged them on. And then, of course... Uh, tried to literally take over the steering wheel and go to the Capitol with him. What he was going to do when he got there, I I don't know from reporting. He wanted to maybe go on like bust into the floor of Congress or something. I mean, it's just utter insanity.
1: It seems like he was envisioning himself walking into the into the Capitol in into the chamber with a crowd, an armed crowd behind him, which. It, it, I, you know bonkers would be like it's not a strong enough word to say but it based on the testimony today it seemed like that could have been what what he was thinking and, and you know and to your point about um this this meeting that um meadows didn't end up attending we we did find out today um or at this hearing that uh meadows and giuliani both asked for pardons yes which is like uh oh What do you need to be pardoned for? Blanket pardons. What do you need to be pardoned for? Just as a
0: reminder, uh, a a function of a pardon is admitting guilt. Like to be pardoned, you literally have to admit that you're guilty of something and then you are pardoned for that. You're saying, well, anyway, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, I, I assume that what I said was uh, equally uh, stirring for you. What were uh, any? Were there any other moments for you that really stood out?
1: Um, the the knowledge, the pardon, you know the the stuff about you know him throwing a plate against the wall or you know trying like lunging at a a, a, a secret service agent. I mean, it's helpful. That must have been establish- triggering
0: for you because you are the parent of a toddler right now. So. <laughs> feels familiar i didn't
1: catch up off off a wall today um no but um it's uh that's helpful to a state of mind i think that there's going to be a lot of pushback there because she didn't witness those things actually happening and so there's already people saying oh well but now it's on these secret service agents to either step up Mm-hmm. To step up and and either under oath right. confirm or deny under oath under oath, which is what she did. Anything besides that is is just you know rumor and innuendo. And this is not a you know a, a criminal court proceeding. They don't like the, they can hear what secondhand testimony. That's. That's right. Nothing wrong with that.
0: Anyone Um, who wants to dispute uh, what was said today or at any part in these hearings is welcome and encouraged to come in and do so under oath.
1: Absolutely. Um, I thought it was meaningful that the last thing that they talked about was witness stampering. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that maybe in a future hearing, we might find out, who they were, imply. I mean, obviously they were talking about Trump, but you know they did. They didn't. They didn't say that.
0: Well, it, it could have been Trump. It, it sounded a lot like Rudy. Also, you know, in the language, who knows? But I'll tell you who knows. They know. They kept it redacted. They didn't uh, say who the names were, but they know. And that is a serious crime. It's interfering with the investigation. So um, witness tampering is serious. So.
1: And I don't think this committee is putting stuff out there that they can't back up, to be quite honest with you. This is not this is not the hearings that we've seen in the past where people this is not the Benghazi stuff where people are just throwing rumors and innuendo around. I think that everything they're presenting, they can back up.
0: Yeah. And uh Just to make that point again uh, that everyone has been making today, the bulk of the witnesses who have been testifying have been Republicans and have Mm -hmm. been members of the administration or Justice Department who were appointed by Trump. So uh, it will be interesting to see what Merrick Garland, our current attorney general in the Justice Department, does with all of this. They need to act. They need to act quickly. I know they've been methodical. We saw that um, Eastman's phone was uh, seized by the FBI Mm -hmm. a few days ago. I mean, there's lots of stuff happening around that. But, um, you know, this is so urgent and damning. Action needs to be taken right away.
1: Absolutely. So um, I think that was a solid recap. And, you know, thank (laughs) goodness for Cassidy Hutchinson, who at the end of the day put country ahead of loyalty to trump
0: she did Uh, say there was one thing when she was going into mark meadow's office and um, asking if he was watching what was going on when the rioters were about to breach into the Capitol, and he said call jim jim's on the floor he just gave a speech did you see the speech and he said yeah it was great did you like it she said yeah it was great (laughs) She, she loved jim jordan's speech and i was like oh that's right um anyway. and she
1: used to work for ted cruz
0: so she worked for ted cruz but, and um, steve scalise
1: her description of meadows is just like at some point it just sounded like he'd like just
0: given up on life and was chilling on the Weird. couch yeah ball. listen more to come more to come more to come all right let's uh move on from that and talk about uh our hero of the week
1: Oh, Steve, you picked the Hero of the Week, and I love
0: her. I did, and it wasn't Cassidy Hutchinson. She's not my Hero of the Week. God bless her for her testimony. I appreciate it. But (laughs) last week, uh, Beyonce was giving you hope. This week, my Hero of the Week is Lizzo. Lizzo. Yes. Who um, opened up the BET Awards this weekend, and um, which was, uh, those artists were on fire.
1: Such a good show. Yeah,
0: and they were really slamming. Uh, Janelle Monae was awesome and beautiful and uh, slammed SCOTUS with the fuck you Supreme Court and uh, lots of good stuff. But Lizzo is our Hero of the Week um, for pledging... $500,000 for her upcoming tour to Planned Parenthood, and then Live Nation agreed to match. So she is uh, giving a million dollars, basically, to Planned Parenthood and abortion rights funds. And beyond that, she really took to Twitter and Mm -hmm. her over like 2 million followers, um, and encouraged people to get involved, to be advocates, to volunteer, get, put some resources out there for them to do it. Um, anytime anybody with that kind of platform goes out and, and, and takes a stand, I really, really appreciate it because they can do a lot of good with their platform. Uh, she's really stepping up and stepping up with a million dollars. So Lizzo is my hero of the week.
1: Um I can't wait to see her in November in Austin. It's about damn time that
0: Lizzo was our hero of the week. <laughs> Do
1: you have tickets? Thank you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um my husband promised me tickets. So, okay. I'm going to hold I'm going to hold him to that. He caught me on Instagram trying to win free tickets and he was like, "Oh, you're not going to win this contest. I'll just buy you the tickets." So, I take that as a As a a commitment akin to our wedding vows, let's talk. So Liz Winstead is going to help us out with uh, this week's to-do list. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to get into it in the interview with her, but uh, we're asking you this week to support abortion funds and to visit operationsaveabortion.com to learn about this event Liz is going to tell us about coming up on July 17th.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a training event on different ways to get involved in, in the fight for abortion rights and, and abortion activism. Uh, again, it's July 17th. The website is operationsaveabortion.com, and Liz will talk all about it. But I'm saying it again because we really want everyone to get involved in this, and I know that our listeners want to.
1: That's right. We'll be uh, back with more in this interview and then we'll talk about our reasons for hope. As co-creator and former head writer of The Daily Show and co-founder of Air America Radio, Liz Winstead has helped change the very landscape of how people get their news. One of the top political satirists in America, Liz now spends most of her time at the helm of Abortion Access Front, a reproductive rights organization that uses humor and outrage to expose anti-choice zealots and mobilizes people to take action in all 50 states. And she's also the co-host of Feminist Buzzkills Live. Liz, thank you so much for being here with us.
2: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: A lot of tough stuff to talk about, but you just have such a knack for making it feel like we we can have a conversation and not just like, sob uncontrollably. You founded Abortion Access Front in 2015. At that time, it was called uh, Lady Parts Justice League. And you've been a champion for abortion rights your entire career. So we just wanted to start off by checking in with you, uh, how you're feeling, how you're doing in the wake of the expected but still devastating repeal of Roe versus Wade.
2: Well, you know, it's like everybody has their, you know, hot take on it. And mm. for us working in the movement, um, we have been watching this baton death march, you know, yeah. sort of happen. And so, you know, when it finally landed, um, there was just there was just unbridled rage. I was channeling at people like. You know, mainstream Democrats who would never say abortion or center abortion or who called me hysterical and a wedge issue person and told me that I needed to back off um, that nobody was ever going to understand abortion. So that was one hmm. place of like just being super mad. Hmm. Um, and then just looking at all the people who said in 2016, you know, the candidates are the same i can't vote for hillary because she's flawed it's like every politician's flawed literally if you decide you're going to run for office and have said you know what's wrong with the world i'm not in charge you're a flawed <laughs> asshole," and so you have to vote for one of them so like what is your problem um and then you know watching the, the people who i work with daily on the ground um understand that their clinics were going to close in 24 hours 48 hours 30 days um, knowing that staffs will be unemployed, knowing that they live in states that when your resume says you did this at an abortion provider, it's going to be hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just knowing that people had their had their procedures and their appointments canceled on them. Yes. Um, just and then the unknown. Right. Then there's the things that are revealing themselves and will reveal themselves that we couldn't predict because this is all new, right? And so, um, you know, clinics being vandalized the second that they um, don't have patients there with, you know, just horrible messages, you know, there's just so much going on in Texas right now. um, As we are speaking, uh, the Texas Attorney General issued an edict that said, I have permission to go back and enforce the laws that were on the books from the 1930s, and I'm going to retroactively charge anybody who's provided abortions under those laws. And then just as you and I were signing on, another notice came in that said a judge has just Reinstated abortion to six weeks in Texas. So the whiplash of yeah. what's happening and the confusion um, is, is like, it's a lot. Boy, you asked me a question, I didn't stop talking. So it's, it's a, a lot. lot. It's yeah. a lot to manage. It's a lot to try to keep people as informed as possible. And then also to remind people that we are the power. And we can Mm. turn this around if we decide to do so. And um, part of what we do at Abortion Access Front is give people school uh, tools and skills so that they can feel like they can participate in ways that maybe they didn't know. You know, Mm. the fact that so many folks are like, I don't know what to do. Oh, my God, I don't know what to do. Tells me that as a movement, we need to do better but also as a movement, and this is a good thing just to remind people is abortion advocacy isn't just a movement. It's mostly made up of people who are trying to provide medical care for folks. Mm -hmm. And so those of us who do sort of the talking out loud for those people Mm -hmm. are peddling as fast as we can, trying to get people to pay attention. But, you know, if you're an abortion fund or a provider, you don't have time to do a big social media campaign about what's happening. You're providing care. Right, right, you know? right. And I think that a lot of folks forget that the anti-abortion side, all they have to do is hate and scream. They don't have to get anybody to the doctor. They don't have to do anything. They can pretend they want to adopt your baby. It's like, who wants to give you a baby?
1: <laughs> you that's, seem like what's, the worst. that's what's so infuriating is that they haven't been doing anything. And and they've, they've been preparing for this day. They say, for almost 50 years now. But in the meantime, they did. There's no legislation in place to help people who are now forced to have baby. It's it, it's imp- yeah. they, they had nothing to the do. The goal has fact, been solely
0: repeal row. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and not only is there not legislation, there has been active um, shutting down of expanding Medicaid, expanding, you know, um, the child tax credits on a, on a state level, expanding um, Pregnancy uh, care uh, for people at work, you know, expanding um, maternity leave, um, helping with any kind of postpartum, like zero things. And and to be clear, nobody should have to have a child. Zero people should be forced into any of that. But to allow them to act as though once you have a child, it's a blessing. And then to not only not add care, but actively um, not have it pass into legislation Yeah, is garbage. And to transfer money in many states from programs that help needy families into these fake abortion clinics. Crisis centers Yeah, right. so are using yeah, our money. Using our money, you know, and to literally shame and stigmatize and lie. Uh, and they aren't doctors. You know, can you imagine thinking you're going to the doctor to talk about terminating a pregnancy and having someone literally wearing a lab coat to try to trick you um, and give you an ultrasound and they're not a doctor and then lie to you about the results to tell you, oh, you're only uh, eight weeks along. Why don't you come back and see me again in like four weeks or five weeks? And then turns out you were really 10 weeks along and now you're too far along to even make the decision you want. And they won't give you anything except a pack of diapers and um, literature for the state run programs that um, are not funded and will not be
1: funded in that state. It's, they'll, they'll light a candle for you and pray for you. You know, I, yeah. thought, I
0: thought that I had
1: moved past the anger phase, but I'm back
0: I'm, back. Know, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, no no such luck. I guarantee
2: if you thought you were past it and you invite me into the space, I will regenerate your See, rage like nobody's- been We thought thinking. Liz was going
0: to bring the funny, but she just pulled the anger right back out, right?
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I know it's true. You know, I do bring the funny. We made a great video um, inviting- men to join us in the movement that's right. really fun we made it father's day with w kamau bell called dads for choice and it was it's a, a great, great video, video yeah i of, saw that thank you yeah it was really fun to do because it's a reset for for guys you know like every guy that i talk to and every woman that i talk to when we talk about birth control it's like how much is your partner spent on the birth control and they're like maybe some condoms and it's like and, and same with me. Like I never even thought to ask any of my partners like to split the cost of any of it. I just shouldered it. And so when you add it up, it's like thousands of dollars. And then men are like, oh, you know, maybe a couple bucks on some condoms, scot free. It's like, mm, and I want to think about that.
0: And look, just to channel a little bit more anger here um, before we move on to what is probably going to be some more anger. Um, <laughs> I, I you know we talk a lot on this show about getting dudes into action because all of these movements across the board are led by women um, yeah. and um, and you know we have we have lots of guys showing up but not nearly enough and you mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, people, guys like me, talk about their daughters. You have, I have a daughter, so, you know, I'm, you know, if you don't see that they are coming for every single one of us, then you are really not paying attention. But let's put that aside. If you don't give a shit about your daughter, about your wife— my wife was, was broken. We all were when this, when this decision came down, even though we were expecting it. Last night, my 19-year-old daughter came into the living room Sobbing because she's so overwhelmed with all of it, with the gun violence, with her bodily autonomy being taken away from her in in, in the midst of a pandemic that she's had to go to school and live through. If guys can't step up for their fucking daughters, then what is wrong with you? What kind of man do you think you are? Okay, that's my anger tirade. This just happened last night. That That was a big straw for me. Um, when my well, daughter can
2: just add to that, if it needs you to have a daughter and a wife to understand the humanity of women, like I yeah. need to check in with that, but also like, let's be clear. And this is like going to be hard to hear, but it's real. Like these extremist men have put women in this place and progressive men have allowed it to happen. That's correct. Because they refused to prioritize the humanity of us in the world. And so we, you you know, white people cause racism and men cause this. And so if you give a shit, you got to step up because it's the, I expect the anti-abortion trolls and the haters to exist and be omnipresent. Mm-hmm. Um, but progressive men need to join so that we literally have an issue with which we say to politicians, um, your job and keeping your job right. depends yeah. on you fundamentally understanding that you need to fight for and expand uh, access to abortion and all things that will deliver the full humanity of women. Full stop. Like that, we need to get to that place. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm just putting democratic mm-hmm. men, progressive men, all y'all on notice
0: who need have just sat there. They, it's really hard need to for be, you guys. How
2: are you women de- handling it? It's like <laughs> alone. That's how we're handling it. My
0: wife, when this decision went down, yeah. very chilling words. The first thing that she said to me in her tears was, why do they hate us so much? Right. Yeah. And, and I know that's what you all are feeling.
2: Yeah. And that's been a very big thing all, the, all throughout all of it. And I guess they hate us because it's just we're a challenge to patriarchy, you know, just like us literally asking for um, to be part of the landscape with which we live, to make decisions about the world we live in, to share um, share that uh, decision making because it involves all of us is such a profound threat, so much so Mm -hmm. that it's there's a destructive element to it always. You know, it's like and I think that it's gotten really terrifying when you look at how it happens throughout when people of color or women um, simply um, try to have a seat at the table. It's not enough that you just are just a misogynist. Mm -hmm. They have to take it one step further. Look what happened to Kataji Brown Jackson. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't that you just couldn't be against her jujitsu philosophy. You had to brand her or try to brand her as somebody who is aiding, abetting pedophiles, right, Right. you know? And so when it gets to the point where you can't have a discussion about differences in philosophies or just the way the world needs to work, instead you have to destroy somebody simply asking for some equality and some relief from harm. It's pretty messed up.
1: Well, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately it's the Republican playbook of, you know, the, the, the policy isn't there. So we're going to focus on basically parents' worst fears, which is that, Mm -hmm. you know, the justice system helps pedophiles that, you know, women want to rip cute little babies out of their bellies because, you know, that's what that's what abortion is. And that's how they mobilize
0: people teaching and teaching you advantage. things that's making your kids feel bad in school about right. race.
1: So, you know, we know what their game plan is. Let's talk about abortion access fronts plan. Yeah. yeah. What do you what what do you do in this, you know, historic moment where you're you're more important than ever?
2: Well, so for us, you know, the, one of the reasons that we launched this organization a million years ago was it seemed to me that the advocacy arms of the movement weren't mobilizing people in any real way because they and they they were doing there was policy people, there was people who provide abortions, there's people who help fund to get people abortions, but there really wasn't anyone to mobilize folks to learn about all the ways advocacy can happen and to sort of change the narrative. So what we're doing, which is really important is, you know, we march a lot and then we don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And and that is exhausting in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So we're launching on July seventeenth something called Operation Save Abortion. And what we want to do is get people to have a day of training around all of the different ways that abortion activism can exist in the world. And then we are going to hook them up locally with the people in their communities doing it. And how we're going to do that is we are bringing the best and the brightest activists, providers, people who do policy work from around the country. And we're having a day of live stream conversations that are going to look really beautiful it's going to look like you're sitting on the oprah set um (laughs) and then there's 30 minute conversations on um how to take to the streets and have like meaningful direct action that causes really good trouble how to um organize legislative and policy work so that you can advocate um on a state local level with your politicians to change the laws how you can help Um, all the ways to help patients get care and Mm -hmm. they're 30 minute sessions. And then in between the sessions, we have these really incredible activities uh, for your, for people to watch during house parties. And so at your house party, you can participate in this activity that helps you think about what you just learned, help you sort of have some introspection about like, does that, does that kind of thing feel right for you? Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of the day, you will have this full immersion with a lot of really cool introspection, but all these different ways. And then, and then we're going to get you, we're going to get you connected locally and it's going to be very exciting. We already have about uh, 1500 people signed up to have house parties and I don't know how be at those house parties. So we're pushing it forward, but I think it's a good way. I don't want anyone to feel like I don't know what to do Um, And so after this day of action, also, there's going to be a living calendar that you can always connect with. There'll be a local calendar and then a bigger national calendar. So you can see, is there a city council meeting somebody needs me to attend to be a voice, you know, or, um, you know, there's a potluck and we're having a fundraiser for my abortion fund. Or there's a big national, um, you know, Zoom meeting about what self-managed abortion looks like. So it's going to be a way to to get people active, Mm -hmm. have them assess what feels right for them and then to keep them active in a way that hasn't happened before. And so I feel really excited about that. If you're interested, you can go to operationsaveabortion.com and all the info is there and you can register your house party and do all the things.
0: Operationsaveabortion.com. We'll have a link to that on our show notes, of course, also, and I love that. I, I that's such a powerful way to engage people. I, I'm a big believer in training events that also propel people into action and and keep them mm-hmm. engaged. I, I think that it really uh, builds you know uh, builds knowledge, obviously, but it also builds investment you know in into the yeah. to that so.
2: and community. And also, mm-hmm. just I, I'm just so also just really um, a big proponent of really meeting people where they are, you know, if somebody has mobility issues or they're busy or they have three jobs and they can't, and they're like, maybe I can give a half an hour a month. It's like, that isn't, if that's what you can give and you can like make that commitment, then here's the thing you can do. That's going to be really valuable. And to have people feel like you can give them things to do that they can incorporate into their lives rather than take away from, um, I think people don't see themselves in activism enough because we don't give them enough opportunities to do so.
0: Mm. Well said. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit before we let you go, because as as we said at the top of the show, uh, you really have helped change the way people get their news, uh, both with The Daily Show and with Air America, which I miss so much, I have to say. I used to love listening to Air America. Um, I loved
2: it, too. Radio's so fun.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, and political satire is, you know, such an important tool to educate people who don't Otherwise, seek out the news. It also, happens to be an essential tool for fighting fascism. Um,
2: turns out, <laughs>
0: turns out. So, um, but now, since you founded, uh, started the Daily Show and Air America and stuff like that, the media landscape has changed even more, and people are just really digesting bite-sized pieces of information from so many different sources. So um, how do we now cut through that noise and build our power and efficacy in this progressive media landscape we find ourselves in?
2: You know, it's, I think one of the lessons that we learned is that um, Trump didn't create this mess. He revealed who the, that these 70 million people existed in the world and they have their own media. And I think it's really, really hard to um, parse through because people can choose four or five outlets of right-wing nonsense and say, they said it here, they said it here. That's a fact check. That's a thing, you know, and, and have a worldview where that makes sense and stay in their own echo chamber. I think the key for all of us is, and what I focus on doing is activating people and motivating people who feel uh, disenfranchised or despondent or kind of don't know where to hang their hat and give them a place to do so, because the truth—it's we're in a double edged sword, right, where it's like we need to get people out to vote. Mm-hmm. But it's very that's a really hard sell when the people that we elect don't do anything to make the world better and seem to be sitting back. Right. I mean, we were told that we had to vote for Joe Biden because he was the only one anybody was going to elect and then the party machines are dictating to us who we vote for so i think that we need to be proactive so that we get candidates who will do what we want mm-hmm. and who will take risks um so you know i think that we just have to make the better case and and i think that that's going to always be the way it is where you're going to have people you're never going to change their minds and you're going to have people who believe what you believe and then you're going to have people who um need to be sold on the fact that the world has the potential to work for them, and then convince them that they need to be part of that with ideas and community, which I think is huge. Mm. Activism needs to create community, and once you're part of community, um, you have an investment in working towards other people's um, well-being, and I think that's really
0: important. I I really um, one of the things I miss about Air America is that uh, I, I I feel like a lot of times the problem isn't our message. But it's the message delivery system that we have, yeah. and yeah. and uh, you had such great messengers. On Air America, with um, of course Al Franken, Janine Garofalo, your show, Rachel Maddow, you know the, the list goes on, and um, uh, I I really miss that. I'm, uh, I I hope we can do that. We're we've got some great messengers on MSW Media. I'm just I'll give a plug there, but
2: I think it's true too. And you know I have to say that podcasting and radio, you know, are just like hand in hand. And I do believe that with the rise of podcasts and with people really getting their information from podcasts it goes back to that really personal touch that you feel that radio gives you and podcasting gives Mm. you that no other medium gives you, Mm. you know, when you listen to a podcast or you listen to a good radio show, you really feel like the hosts are talking to you when they're doing it. Right. And it really does feel like I, you know, you become a a narrator that is reliable and you become somebody that is, uh, can really make a difference. And so that gives me a lot of hope. I gotta be honest.
0: Well, um, speaking of the news, we only have a few minutes before the uh, J6 committee surprise yes. special hearing starts up. And uh, and we've taken too Mark much of Meadows your time.
2: assistant is Alrighty. coming up, everybody. Very <laughs> exciting. Very exciting.
0: Yeah. But before we let you go, we do want to ask you the question we ask all of our guests. And there are weeks where it really is a tough question to ask. But what gives you the most hope right now for the future?
2: What gives me the most hope for the future is, I guess, when I am in community with people and I explain to them sort of where we're at in this time when it comes to access to abortion, um, I watch them take action when I ask. And so for me, it gives me hope that people are asking questions. And and when I give them the answer, they actually are Started to take action. So when people find out, I find they care. And so that gives me hope. It's not like they're against what we think. It's that they don't know. And mm. so the more we can tell them, that's what gives me hope.
1: Liz Winstead, thank you so much for being on and giving us hope. We will see you on the internet on July 17th for Operation Save Abortion. And we'll let people know how they can be uh, part of that as well.
2: Well, oh, thanks for having me. I was I'm so glad to talk to you this afternoon. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Steve, what is your reason for hope this week?
0: Tough week with uh, literally, as we said in the open, so much dystopian shit that is actually happening in our country. And uh, the Supreme Court has laid out a lot of terrible, terrible decisions that shows that they are the captured court, that we know that they are, and shows how important it is that we add two senators, get rid of the filibuster, and expand the court. We must. We um, but I didn't want to let this thing that did give me hope get by, and that's the gun legislation mm-hmm. that was signed into law. The Safer Communities Act was signed by Biden. the The wind really got taken out of that moment when it was followed on the heels by SCOTUS right. repealing this century-old law in New York and um, and uh, and making. Community is a lot less safe by letting people open carry in New York. It's just incredible. I can't even believe I'm saying that out loud. But this is my reason for hope segment. I just want to talk about <laughs> this, this gun legislation being passed because uh, this is also historic. It has not happened in decades. And it is the result of relentless activism and relentless work by volunteers and activists who have been fighting for this. It's not enough, but it will save lives. It will make uh, some communities safer. That did include the uh, closing that girlfriend uh, or the boyfriend, boyfriend loophole, loophole rather, uh, which is really important. So um, that's a win that I don't want to get past us amidst all this other news because it's really hopeful. For me, it shows what we can do. It's a uh, it's a long game. John Lewis, uh, I'm going to paraphrase his quote, but um, you know these fights aren't fights for today or tomorrow or, or a week. This is a lifetime of of work, and a lifetime of finding good trouble and and fighting for uh, justice. So that gave me a lot of hope that we actually got some work done, and uh, and made me feel like we have some more to do when we add a couple more senators to set?
1: Definitely a reason for hope and like a a little taste of what's possible if we do our work between now and November.
0: Right. What about you? What was your reason for hope this week in a very tough week?
1: Um, So... You know, we can as I say, I love what I love about this podcast is it always forces me to look for, and it's never hard to find something to be hopeful about. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the in the last week about um, you know, if we're going to if we're going to ban abortion, um, you know, these people people who are in favor of that don't care about the babies once they come out because if they did, there wouldn't be over 400,000 young people in foster care right now. And there are 400,000 young people in foster care. Some of them should not be with their birth families, but some of them should be reunited with their birth families um, because they were removed from their homes because we keep people poor and we punish them for being poor. And People, the majority of people who seek abortions do so because they are poor and they can't afford a child or more children. Um, And so we are on the precipice of really exacerbating a problem that, you know, people had 50 years to try to solve as Mm -hmm. they were trying to overturn the abortion, uh, overturn Roe v. Wade, and they never did. Fast forward to last week. A group. Uh, I don't know why we're fast forwarding. Go to last. <laughs> fast week.
0: forward fifty weeks, fifty years. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, a group of uh, current and former foster youth were just in Washington D.C. They were from around the country as well as New Zealand, and they met with members of Congress to advocate for changes to the child welfare system, for improving reunification, for improving adoption, and. I am so proud of these young people and what they did, and I'm so grateful for um, the members of Congress who took the time to spend half a day with them and listen to what their lived experience is. And it gives me hope that a bipartisan group of Congress people can take the time to listen to kids and young adults and uh, say, uh, like maybe we can create change and maybe as we continue to fight for our reproductive rights, we can fight for the rights of kids as well.
0: I love that. And thank you, Mariah, for your advocacy and and work for foster youth that you've been doing your entire, I think pretty much entire career. Isn't that right? Um, uh Gosh, like you said, the last few
1: years have felt like a lifetime. It hasn't been my <laughs> career, but it's definitely um, been intense. I've worked with the National Foster Youth Institute um, for years, and they're the organization that that takes the young people to D.C. and, and trains them and, and makes makes them activists for themselves and their families, which is so everyone who's listening is an activist and knows how powerful it makes you, so... If you think, if you just, if you just did a Steve face and looked up and said, am I an activist? (laughs) Steve face. I'm going to tell you, because that's the facial expression you just made. Um, (laughs) Maybe you're looking at something else that I'm reading too much into it. But you you know what? If you're listening to this podcast, you are an activist and maybe you haven't taken action yet, but it's in you. It's in you, baby. Well, you got
0: I always appreciate you talking about y- your work and talking about foster kids because it's really important. So thank you for bringing that up. Thank you all for joining us today. This is how we win. As Mariah just articulated, we win when we all get involved.
1: We want to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us about this wild hearing at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven.
0: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us with your friends. Help us build this community of informed and active volunteers. After all, this is How We Win.
1: Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Wednesday.